Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website, www.osl.uk.com, and take a look at our product line, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IBA-dissymmetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Welcome to podcast number 52. My name's Jane McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. A big thank you to our last guests, Natasha Pariski, Kylie Shepherd, and Jennifer Hart, who discussed the Health Education England Return to Practice scheme and their experiences. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do go and have a look. So we're really pleased to introduce our guest for this evening, Charlie Wardle, and he will be discussing his experience of having cancer and having proton therapy. Charlie, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, well, thank you for having me on here. Um, so I'm 47 years of age, um, and yeah, I was well, I was diagnosed with um, well, head and neck cancer um, back in um, November, and I'm now currently well about three months post treatment, um, and that basically means that I'm well. Next week, I should get the results of a. A recent scan with a consultant to see where where we're at with the cancer and whether the treatments worked or what the situation is. Um, in terms of my my job, uh, my main job, um, and yeah, you, you've asked me about this. Uh, I'm known as the mountain coach. That's my business. So I guess as the name kind of implies, um, I spend a lot of time normally um, in a non-cancer situation you know going up mountains um also you know hills coastal places basically doing lots of hiking all around the uk um taking people and groups um primarily at weekends um you know in sort of outdoor adventures and activities uh, the coaching side is i used to do some um sort of coaching um not so much in the last few years and that's <laughs> it's not really her fault but i've got a young daughter and that means that during the during the week, I've had a lot of daddy duties and um, and stuff. So that will come back. She's going to be starting uh, primary school in September. So I'll, I'll get back into some of the coaching aspects, um, which is more sort of health and well-being uh, related. So that's sort of another hat I've got is the sort of the health and well-being side. And I also run a charity, a small charity um, that I set up called Climbing a Mountain, which is all about sort of health and well-being. But yeah... Um, the mountain coach is uh, my main business and um, actually um, just in the last three weeks I've started to get back out again doing some of the hiking. No mountains as yet but hopefully that will that will come. So, so there's a little need... for me. Uh. <laughs> I need all the help Charlie because I go on my 100 kilometre um, trek <clears throat> with Copperfield Charity in the next oh. couple of weeks. Okay. So when we're off the podcast, I'll be asking for some hints and tips because yeah. I need all That's the help I can blisters. get. We're avoiding blisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, Charlie, um, obviously, the fact that you've been involved in health and well-being coaching and things before um, means that you're vitally aware of the importance of your own health. 
Can you explain how you come came to be diagnosed? Yeah, well, it was a Monday evening, a fairly normal Monday. I'd just done some hiking and done, you know, done some events at the weekend. Monday evening, lying in bed, noticed a lump coming up. And that night, I sort of didn't sleep that well. And I'm generally not the sort of person to you know, go to the doctors very often. Um, but it was strange enough and sort of quite a large lump that I thought I need to go and check this out. So I managed to well, make make a phone call, explain it. They said to come down, met with a, with a doctor. They were a bit puzzled by it all, said that they would, um, you know, get me in for some blood tests and a scan, um, which they said was urgent, but again, not really knowing the system. Urgent was kind of a few day, in a few days' time. Um, anyway, the next day it got, it got bigger and I went back to the doctors and saw another doctor and he, he then said... I really want you to go to the hospital because I've no idea what this could be. It doesn't, doesn't really make much sense. Um, five or six hours waiting in the hospital. Um, finally saw somebody and they didn't really under, know what it was. They sort of had a feel, had a check. Um, then they got their, I think the registrar, some of more senior coming to look at it. They weren't sure. Um, they stuck a, the thing down my... Uh, nose um, which was absolutely horrendous really really painful um, and that was more just to check that I was okay to be discharged in terms of my breathe you know the airways um, and that one of them said they think it might be a bronchial cyst and I sort of didn't know what that was but they sort of said look we'll get you in for the scans um, a CT scan in the next couple of days you know you can go home um, but take oh some antibiotics take some antibiotics so I was then on antibiotics for a week. Um, I think it was a Friday, had a CT scan. Um, and then, I'm trying to remember now exactly, but the following week they then said to me, oh, we want to do an ultrasound and a, and a biopsy. And at this stage, my logical brain was saying, you know, I'm fairly, relatively young, I'm fit, healthy. You know, you hear about lumps and most of the time they're benign, you know, it's it's nothing to worry about the fact that the doctor has said it's it's bronchial cyst which you know I googled and it's like okay it's a bit weird but you know it's relatively common and everything was like logically in my brain was you know it's, it's you know it's not cancer it's just you know and the antibiotics seem to be working in terms of it went down quite a lot um and then anyway i i had looking back things started to make sense because of what became obvious was the ct scan had shown up two tumours but no one at this point I hadn't seen anyone to you know um, explain that or say anything um, I then um, had an appointment oh at the, sorry at the biopsy for my neck the guy was very adamant that he wanted to get some good samples so he did like three attempts and just from what he was saying everything indicated afterwards looking back that oh yeah he, he knew he'd seen the scans he really wanted to make sure he got a good piece of you know, of, of the, the lump. Anyway, the following week, I had my um, appointment with a consultant, um, and I was he he was I was told that I may not get the results back because it was roughly a week and it sometimes takes a bit longer. So I wasn't sure what to expect. But I went in, and it was about delayed for about an hour, and then there was five people in the room. And at this point, I'm this is a bit strange. Like, why there's why is there five of you? 
and and I don't want to be too critical, but this is actually what happened. Um, the first thing he said to me was, sort of, you know, hello, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I want to put the, the the camera down your nose again and have a, have a look. And I was like, having had such a bad experience at the hospital, I was like, whoa, well, before you do that, can you tell me what's going on? And at that point, he just said, oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's cancer. But we think there's another tumour there. And at that point, you know, I kind of lost it for five minutes. Um, and then they did put the tube down, this time with anaesthetic, so it didn't actually hurt. Um, and there was a big, well, not big, but a very obvious tumour at the back of my base of my tongue. And then he explained that that was the prime, he thought that was a primary tumour. Um, the good news was that it's HPV positive um, and that the neck lump was a secondary tumour. Now at this point I'm on my own, you know, just being told um, you know, the situation and a lot of stuff wasn't going in, you know, it's kind of, everything was a bit of a blur and it was about sort of half five in the evening at this point and you know, I mentioned my daughter before, you know, three years old, she generally you know, eats at around five, I generally do the cooking for the, you know, that food and then start getting her ready for bed at sort of six-ish. And I was expecting to be home by now, and the, all these various people in the room were telling me, you know, you know, what what the next stage is. Another big thing was we were due to go on holiday. Um, so this was a Thursday evening. We were due to go on holiday on the Monday. You know, first holiday in two years. Um, you know, family holiday. And all I could think of was, apart from, oh, I've got cancer, therefore I'm going to die. Um, you know. Can, you know, can we go on holiday? Um, at which they said, well, no, because we want to get you in for, you know, MRI scan and PET scans and another, bi we want to do a biopsy of the, the tumour on your tongue. And so anyway, that's kind of how, how it happened. And that was on the 11th of November um, and went home, you know, walked through the door. Oh, that was ex my my partner she she'd text us saying are you okay where are you kind of thing you know you're supposed to be back by now obviously i couldn't tell her over the phone and so it wasn't until i got back home um but anyway the next few weeks was all about kind of you know having the the biopsy the scans etc etc and then seeing lots of different people and where i'm where i live in nottingham there's there's two hospitals and depending on who you're seeing you're at either the, the queen's medical or city hospital and just seemed to spend literally every other day going to a different appointment um also trying to sort of process what, what you know what the hell's going on um and yeah the first couple of days it was i guess just myself just trying to process this because i was really ignorant in terms of you know obviously everyone's heard of cancer and know a few people who've had cancer but not appreciating that there's so many different types of cancer, so many, you know, different treatments, so, you know, so many different things. And I didn't know what this HPV thing was either. And, and I was kind of like trying to process everything, but I'm generally, I'm very good at and very confident if I'm in control. So if I'm relying on myself, I'm you know, very happy, very confident. I'm quite a, <laughs> bit of a control freak but you know I you know I like to you know to know know what what's happening 
in this situation, I'm like, well, I don't know anything. And if I go down the route of Google, that's not, you know, not a good idea. Um, so I kind of quite early on, I decided that you know, the best thing is to, to know as little as possible um, and just control the things that you're able to control as much as as much as possible um and you know for many for many years um so i'll put a bit of context behind this so it's about 20 years ago well, 19 years ago um i had um i was going through a really difficult time myself with stress-related depression um and it took a few years to deal with that situation and then afterwards um, reflecting on it and then doing a lot of reading research understanding and becoming very knowledgeable around stress depression anxiety you know basically mental health before before it became um, much more widely spoken about um, and I used to do a lot of talks and um, ran courses and written books around you know the tools and techniques and sort of understanding it all um, and the fact that if you do go through that kind of you know, period of your life if you were able to understand it and develop those tools and techniques then you become like a superhero in that you know you can basically deal with anything um, and so yeah, I'm actually getting a bit emotional now but um, it was that <clears throat> the fact that yeah, you know, you go through a really, really difficult time, but you take positives out of it, and you know you can you know, develop that you know, suit of armor, that superpower, because then you can do with anything. And so for years and years and years, I was kind of, you know, well, yeah, I I can deal with anything, and trying to get people who were going through difficult times, you know, kind of look, it is really tough, but actually in the future you know, it would be worth it in many ways so <clears throat> I, I, I said this might happen um, so yeah when I when I, I kept saying to myself but you know you, you, you can deal with anything is this, this is <clears throat> this is just something that you've got to deal with so work out <clears throat> Take your time, Charlie. Honestly, it's absolutely fine. <clears throat> you know, work out how you're going to deal with it. And the big thing was to not think about it too much. And this is this is exactly what's happening now is because of I spent the last seven months not thinking about it too much. When you do start reflecting on it and thinking about it, you know, it... it, it it, it becomes really, you know, really tough um, for anybody, and you know, I definitely consider myself fortunate because of I have dealt with it really well, um, and a lot of that is because of past experiences, um, and so you know, hopefully there'll be good news for me and anyone else going through similar, and then they can, you know, whatever you know, techniques or they they that would work for them, um, they can pass that on. It might not work for everybody. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who you know, have Googled everything or looked to get the answers from everybody and it's been beneficial. 
Um, but as I say, for me it was, there's so much of this you can't control. And although it's, you want to know stuff, you want to ask questions, you want to have that knowledge, you're not going to get those answers and just do what you can, can control. So, um, <laughs> for example, right from the start they said with the, the cancer I've got and the, the treatment, um, it's going to be very you know, invasive and brutal and you're basically going to lose a lot of weight, you're going to need a feeding tube, it's going to be, um, it's really important to try and maintain weight, so start eating unhealthily, start putting on weight. So I did, um, and to cut a long story short, I put on um, about eight kilograms um, from the time they told me, um, you know, the, the diagnosis, to I think it was the fifth week, into the fifth week of treatment, at which point I was just feeling really unhealthy from a from that perspective and the doctor said yeah maybe you should yeah, yeah just be not yeah don't definitely don't put any on any more weight so since then i've i've lost um about nine kilograms um you know in a, in a sensible sensible sort of eating more healthily way um so yeah so so that's i guess going back to the original question which was um you know, when I when I got diagnosed, the type of cancer it was. Going back to the HPV thing again, I, I'd heard of it, and I guess my knowledge was more around. Um, I'd heard it in more sort of cervical cancer for for women, and the fact that there was a vaccine now they were given to teenagers and stuff. And when I sort of tried to find out a bit more about that, um, the first thing you hear is it's a sexually transmitted disease. You're like, whoa, what's what is this? You know, and then you sort of go, okay, we'll look into it a bit more. And it's basically pretty much everybody has had the virus, um, but for the pretty much 99% of people, it's not an issue at all. Um, and again, from what this I do understand, you know, nobody knows why, you know, what the factors or triggers are as to why for some men and women it develops into cancer and how many years it's been there. I mean, this potentially could have been 20 years in the, in the making. So... But when he said it's a positive thing, apparently it's because it, it responds pretty well to treatment. It's a, it responds better than other types of cancers to treatment. So, um, so yeah, that's, I guess that is a positive. Um, but yeah, that's how I found out. That's how I diagnosed. Um, I had no symptoms before the, the lump on my neck. I felt normal. Um, I was you know, out doing mountains the week before, you know, there was no symptoms at all. Um, but as soon as I got diagnosed, then, I don't know, I, I kind of, my breathing was affected, my heart rate was going up, I felt, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I just felt unhealthy. Um, but what I probably should say, and this will probably come on to the protons, was um, I was asked if I'd be interested in doing a, a trial called the torpedo trial. Um, I, f I fitted the criteria for that and um, they explained that it was um, using proton beam therapy as opposed to traditional radiotherapy and it was going to be at the Christie in Manchester but it would involve going up there for seven weeks or one week pre-treatment and then seven weeks for the treatment. Um, and I was like, mm, okay, I don't know. You know, they gave me the booklet, go go away and, and read it. Um, but we need a decision pretty pretty quick because your treatment, you know, we, we're about to 
start planning it all. Um, and so t I guess two things. One was um, when I sort of read up a bit about protein beam therapy, it, it kind of, from what I could tell, it was that's more the future. Um, the fact that it was, um, you know, the, the whole point is the fact that it, it is, is more targeted. It doesn't go through the, the tumour. Um, and that made sense. And it made sense that... Um, from what, again, from what I could tell, you, you probably know far more about this than myself, but if you were a multi-millionaire or money was no object, this is the route you would take. Um, as in, you know, you can get it done privately and it costs a lot of money and that's, in other countries, that's the route they would generally go down. And so, from the point of view of potentially less side effects, plus this was sort of the future treatment, that kind of made sense but also from a practical point of view given that we're still in heavy sort of covid times plus having a three-year-old who goes to preschool nursery the chances of picking up a cold a bug covid during the winter period you know it was it was heartbreaking to think i need to be away from her for seven weeks but from a treatment point of view and a safety point of view that kind of made sense. I could go to Manchester, sort of be on my own. I was, I'm pretty independent. I'm pretty comfortable being on my own. Of course, it's nice to have this you know, support of sort of family around. But to me, it was well that was a much safer, more sensible option to take. Um, so I said yes, but that actually, I had a two to one chance of getting on the trial because um, it has to be randomised in that way. So I then got the the call that I was, um, you know, I, I was on it, and I was like, okay, great. And I actually got the call while I was on my third day in hospital, in the most severe pain I've ever had, with my rig tube fitted. And I don't want to put anyone off, anyone off. Um, but yeah, that was a horrendous experience. I think I was just very, very unlucky. They did tell me that it was because I had really, really strong abs. Um, <laughs> That, that, that's why it was that's what you want to hear isn't I'm it glad yeah. you got that into the podcast <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah because they, they said that you know, with again with the treatment you're likely to not be able to eat etc and we'd really highly recommend uh, you know getting a, a rig or feeding tube fitted um, and I think yeah it was just a whatever happened happened and I was in hospital for like three days in, in a lot of pain I couldn't walk for three weeks but that was when I got the call that I was going to be on the torpedo trial um, went up to Manchester for a week just before Christmas actually came back Christmas Eve um, and then the treatment was all planned you know the mask fitting more scans met some of the people um, and then uh, 11th of January the actual treatment started <clears throat> Thank you for sharing the story. Um, obviously very emotive. You've been through quite a lot. Um, and on top of that, it's kind of middle of the pandemic as well. So you've got that to navigate with your family life and everything. I know you said about how you managed to process it, but how did your family manage? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I think, obviously it was a huge shock initially. My daughter was is, is too young to really understand. Um, it's quite funny because over the last seven months um you know she's a to her it's i've had a poorly neck um that's 
that's how she's you know, how she's aware of it. And again, one of the one of the side effects. Um, luckily, it's almost stopped now. But one of the side effects is with the saliva um, producing. Well, there's a lot of worse side effects, but the um, you, for, for many many weeks you haven't you're producing this stuff and you're constantly needing to spit out. So there's been probably hundreds of times when I'm like got this in my mouth and I need to spit it out I need to go to the bathroom or the toilet and I'm like mm-hmm. and she goes daddy spit it out and so she's said that hundreds of times um, so she, she's aware of you know of, of, you know, kind of what's going on in, in some ways um, but not not obviously the full extent uh, my partner really really tough for her I mean I guess on one hand having a three year old to look after is quite a yeah, quite a distraction, keeps you busy, keeps your mind off things. Um, something that <clears throat> actually time-wise, um, you know, a, a coincidence, but very, you know, very well-timed one, was um, the period I was away in Manchester, um, well, for six of those seven weeks, um, at her work, they were doing a, um, a walking challenge, a step challenge, where they were trying to get as many... Know, steps in each day so um, because of that she was sort of focused on trying to get like 20,000 steps in each day um, walking everywhere she could um, and the weather was really really good in, in January and early February. I think there's only one day it rained for her so she was able to focus on that and obviously the, she got the benefits physically and mentally from having that, that you know that walking challenge during that those that period when I was away um, and again, I think before treatment started and then afterwards when we were here, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not, you know, the best person at communicating. I, I feel like I don't want to burden anyone else. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it myself kind of thing. Um, I think, and you know, we'll perhaps talk about this a bit more in a little while, but, um, post-treatment, even though I was at home, I found that a lot, lot harder than the actual treatment period. Um, and yeah, the last few weeks have, have improved massively. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, almost back to normal in the sense of, I guess, doing my duties at home um, with, my, with my daughter and you know, the house housework and those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, she's you know, dealt with it pretty well. Um, and again, all these, you know, everyone's situation is different, you know, and people deal with it in their own ways. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's always important to think about the family members and friends and other people um, you know, and how they'll, how they'll deal with it. Um, I mean, I one thing I didn't mention, which is important, um, I made the decision, like I think it was a day or a couple of days after I got diagnosed, to make to put it out there on Facebook. And generally, social media for me is is work related. It's about you know the business, my business, and putting up lots of nice photos of you know, hikes and stuff like that. Um, plus, since my daughter was born, you know, putting up some pictures of her, particularly for sort of just have their there for the memories. Um, so I'm not sort of someone who puts a lot of personal stuff on social media um, but I felt 
that you know it's going to come out needs you know quite a lot of people already knew about the lump on my neck and they knew that I was going for you know for some tests so I put it out and you know it's overwhelming the amount of support and well wishes and I guess for a lot of people they probably won't you know do I put stuff on social media or not and it's obviously a personal choice depends on lots of factors but for me for someone who generally isn't you know doesn't need that kind of support or affirmation or, or kind of you know I've, I did find it really genuinely kind of nice um, and you know yes there was people that you hadn't heard of for 20 years getting in touch and you like you know okay fair enough and I think you know, everyone you know, genuinely means well you know a few people sort of especially the people you haven't heard of for so long start sending you lots of messages you're like well you know I'm kind of you know back off back off of it um but I kind of, as I say, I found it in that particular time very supportive and beneficial and helpful. And then I kind of was getting a lot of you know, messages as well. And I just felt the best way of dealing with this is just every few weeks do an update, a general update. Um, yes, there's a few people that I'll message, you know, um, and it's more personal. But um, yeah, it was, so that, those updates... I think for a lot of people, they found it interesting, or you know, they wanted to know what, what was going on in a, you know, in a nice way. And for me, it was feeling that people did generally, you know, wish me well and were very supportive. So um, that surprised me a little bit, in that I found that a lot more, I guess, helpful than I thought perhaps I would have would have done. Um, and that kind of does drop off a little bit as time goes on. Um, but I'll say this now, you know, we might discuss it in more detail, but um, during, with, with treatment, um, <clears throat> from this is just purely from this, those social media or friends and people, associates, um, you, you, know, you get a lot of support and well wishes. When you put the photo up of ringing the bell and you say, yeah, treatment's finished, I'm sure at least, most of them, no matter what you say about, you know, the recovery is really going to be really tough and it's several months before I find out, they think that's it, that's done now. And the amount of likes, messages, support does drop off. And I, I, I guess that's lack of understanding of the situation and obviously different and different types of cancer, different types of treatment. But it was very noticeable that, oh yeah, oh, you're back home now, your treatment's done, oh great, well done. Um, you know, that and, that, and that's it. Um, and that's kind of, and we'll, we'll definitely come on to this. Um, that's kind of also how it is from a, um, from the hospital, you know, doctors, nurses, radiographers, that point of view as well. It kind of everything stops once treatment's finished. It's really interesting you say that, Charlie, because I think a lot of patients feel like that. I know Naaman and I have talked about it before, but when patients typically finish, they're like, what do, what do I do now? And and the fact that you've kind of linked that social aspect of people starting to disengage with you and asking how you are and kind of being that supportive um, aspect in your life on top of the medical distance that you have, that's, that's really interesting that it all kind of combines together and almost makes it more visible. Yeah, I mean, and... I, I... 
I don't think anyone means to be like that. Um, and I think it's just, unless people really under, know what you're you know, going through or look, or look in more detail, they, they assume, yeah, oh, great, treatment's done, brilliant, yeah, well done, you've got through it. And even a few weeks ago, when I did my first hike back, I put on it, you know, after six months, I managed to do my first hike, you know, I'm absolutely shattered. Someone had to carry my bag, but I'm out there. And I had quite a few messages saying, oh, well done for beating cancer. And I'm like, well, this isn't... Well, first of all, it's I'm not... You know, I don't really like the term beating cancer, but just like, well, I'm, you know, this is just... This is, you know, yes, it's good, it's positive, but just because I'm out on a walk, I've, you know, that's doesn't... You know, there's still a long way to go. Um, and, you know, I completely accept all different types of treatment and for my particular treatment it was you know you know particularly brutal and the the recovery um you know those first four or five weeks after treatment were definitely a lot worse and there's also the the aspect of going home living you know back with my my daughter and my, my partner um but especially with my daughter i couldn't be close to her because of the risk of getting covid or a cold or anything and and also you know all of this was really sore um on my neck um on the outside it was a lot worse on the inside and so i couldn't give her cuddles i couldn't i couldn't be a dad you know a daddy to her um and as as well as all the pain you know experiencing um and the spitting and the coughing and the everything else um you know it was kind of, yeah, you really, I really felt kind of, oh, a lot of people think that's it now, whereas actually this is the hardest time. And, um, and yeah, from a, I guess a medical point of view, um, you know, I, you know, I always, you know, I get that resources are limited, time is limited. Um, but going from the treatment where pretty much every day you're seeing someone, often several people, and you do get a sense of you really being looked after, cared for, um, and you can ask questions. You can, you know, you can get your medication. You get once you're finished, that's it. You you're on your own. And you know, I'd, I'd had a I had a two week appointment with a nurse, a dietitian, sort of half an hour sort of catch up um, after two weeks, and then I saw my consultant after six weeks for a, you know. A quick, a quick catch up, and that, and that is it. Everything else you're completely on your own. And if there's one, I don't know. Oh, the two main things um, that I, in my experience, if there is any way of improving um, the side of it, is um, the, the thing that I, the, the main thing is there's a lack of personalization. Um, and again, I, I don't know what the answer is. There probably isn't an answer, but I must have seen a hundred different doctors, nurses, radiographers, etc., etc. Um, every single letter I got for an appointment, the person on it, I, I never saw that person. It was someone different. Um, different. It, it was kind of like every, I almost after a few times almost expected who who am I going to see this time it was somebody different and they didn't know me I had to repeat stuff you weren't sure if like well were they just read my file now or who they and it, and it, it kind of felt really non-personal 
Um, and right from the start, I was kind of, if I did allow myself to try and be positive in my thinking um, and think of like, you know, you know, X number of months down the line, it's all going to be okay. It's like, well, who do I thank? And I, I, I have no idea who I would say thank you to because there's been so many different people. And so from a patient's point of view, you don't, you just feel like you're just another number or letter or whatever. But also from a, you know, a medical, you know, a medical professional, you know, a doctor, a nurse, or a doctor, whoever, they aren't getting that reward or the appreciation or that, you know, someone's coming up to them and thanking them and saying, you know, because, you know, everyone, well, not everyone, but most people, you know, there's a lot of factors as to why they do a job. You know, um, you know it's interesting, the money, the people, but getting some satisfaction and and feeling like you've made a difference. And if you're getting someone coming up to you and saying, hey, Joe, I really want to thank you for what you've done here, um, it, it works both ways. And I just feel that there's, there, I don't know who I would thank. And from the, all these different people I've met over the last six, seven months, um, kind of, well, they're not getting any anything back, appreciation back from the from the patient. So I think that's the biggest thing for me. Um, the other thing then is post-treatment, that, that huge difference between you do feel, because you're seeing someone on a daily basis for your treatment and you, you know, up at the Christie, I'm not sure if it works similar at other places, you know, weekly you, you, you have a, you know, you have a catch up with a, with a doctor. Um, it might not be the consultant, but it'd be a, a consultant or a doctor. Um, you would, I mean, it's a bit, perhaps a bit different because I was on a trial, but we had lots of bloods taken, so you're seeing someone there. You, you'd constantly be seeing people um, every day and they'd be checking on you. you. You know, the radiographers, even though there'd be you know, lots of them and different ones, and also, because everyone's in masks as well, that doesn't help because you, it's hard, to, you don't have that connection because of the mask. But they would ask, you know, how you feeling, or, oh, there's, you know, go and speak to someone about your, your neck or, um, see, there's that on a daily basis, although it's a horrible thing to go through, you do get that sense of you, you're being looked after. Whereas there's a, you're finished now. And again, because of I was, you know, up in Manchester, the Christie for my treatment and, but back in Nottingham for the post, everything post treatment. Um, <clears throat> You just don't know who who to speak to or who to call or and again, like I mentioned before, I'm not someone who'd want to make a fuss, but you know some of the pain you're going through and I'm I my understanding is I've been pretty fortunate compared to, to a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's been absolutely horrendous, you know, horrible, 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 so painful, so you know, up all night, spitting in buckets, you know, coughing, retching, um, burning. And and then there's sheer exhaustion and everything else and all the medication you take, but I've had it pretty good compared to a lot of people, and I can just imagine people would be well. Who do I talk to? Who do I turn to? Who do I go to? Who's gonna come and ask me if I'm okay? And I, I, I say I don't know what the answer is other than it felt like the treatment. Yeah, yeah, everyone was 
you know, do you know working really hard, really you really look well looked after, um, and then nothing, and I think people or I guess I don't know the profession needs to understand a bit more from a patient's point of view that, that they are often the hardest few weeks and you know perhaps a phone call you know once a week you know would would make a big difference certainly to, to a lot of people um but yeah I, I... can i ask charlie did you have um any support groups or anything that you accessed during your treatment um no so 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 the treatment itself, um, so I had spent a week up at before Christmas where I sort of met a few people, had the mask fit in, etc. And the way it worked, you know, in a in a um, with the trial was they put you up in a an apartment, um, and then you they offer a like a mini bus service to the hospital. Um, so you'd go to the hospital each day, times for your treatment. Um, I think the the, if there is a downside, the downside to the proton beam therapy is it it takes longer um, when you're in the when you're actually having the beams um, put in. I mean, the quickest was half an hour, but you know it would be between thirty and forty minutes. And I'm, my understanding is traditional radiography is a much much quicker process. So, um, so the actual treatment for the protons took you know, took took quite a bit of time. Um, but you'd um, you'd be there. You'd have your your time each day, and sometimes it'd get delayed. Um, and sometimes up, you know, it would work well with the the bus service. Enough, you were waiting a long time. Or, um, but you, you were there. I was there sort of every every day having the treatment. And um, again, you know, it's just it's just a reality. The mask is. You know, I'm sure some people don't mind it, but it's pretty horrendous, and it's really tight and you can hardly breathe and the fact that I was putting on weight didn't help um, and with the, the chemotherapy that swells you up so it was, it was incredibly tight and um, but you're, you're you're there sort of and the people are there and they're sort of looking after you um, and, and everyone's very pleasant and um, you got your, your medication you can they you know accessible um, I didn't have to worry about parking every day. It was more about just getting the, the minibus. Um, and so, yeah, with the treatment, um, I, you know, I, over the time, things got worse. So, you know, medication ramped up. Um, the, the pain got worse. Um, you know, the chemo was horrible, but lasted. I had, I had two rounds of chemo. Um, some people have it on a weekly basis, but big one at the beginning and then, not three or four weeks later, another another one, um, but they, you know, you you were it was manageable, and you could just you you had people there you could go to, or they were telling you do this, take this medication, try that, you know, um, and you know, for anyone watching on video, I mean, this is all starting to grow back now, slightly weirdly differently, too, <laughs> but this all completely went. Um, and it, yeah, it is growing back, um, but you know your, your neck—that—that—that's you know, really really painful. I've got some pretty horrible photos of that. But inside, you can't really see. That's where the the main problems are. So I mentioned about the feeding tube um, again, partly because of the problems I had with it. 
um, when they put it in, I was so determined to not use it. Um, but I was sort of with my medication, the pain relief, I was able to get food in. As I said before, I was putting on weight um, throughout, you know, throughout. And the, the whole treatment up there, you know, I wouldn't want to do it ever again, or I wouldn't wish anyone would have to go and do it. But it was kind of, you know, it's somewhere different. You know, I've got to just get through this. And everything was right, right, I could do this for sort of six and a half, seven weeks. Um, and you do feel, you did, you know, did feel supportive. You know, there were days when you felt rubbish. There were nights where you didn't get any sleep. Um, but you almost, although I knew there was going to be, it was going to be tough after treatment, I was kind of right, and and get to the end of the treatment. And then, um, yeah, I mean, just to, so you're aware, I talked about the chemo, um, I had a cis, cisplatin, um, first time a large, large amount, and the second time I changed the carboplatin, but the the proton beams were, it was 33 sessions, and it was five beams, each one, each time, I don't know exactly where they went in, but, um, and again, I don't know, I don't know what conventional, your standard radiotherapy is like, but, um, the way they had it set up at the Christie was had three gantries and they had to wait for the beams and depending on who was in the other gantries and different timing, these beams would, so sometimes you could, um, it would be half an hour lying on the, with, with the mask and where you can't breathe and everything's squashed out. Um, but they played the music, you know, or, or radio and, um, you know, sometimes it was bearable, other times you just, please, please, please hurry up. Um, but then other times there'd be delays and he'd be like, oh no, no, you know, and it might be sort of 40, 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, that, that's basically the treatment, 33 sessions of the, the proton beams and the two rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and then yeah, 24th of February, that was me finished back home. Um, but as I said, it, it, it was nice to be home. It was the fact that the pain and everything else was getting worse and worse. Um, and like we said, it was kind of like, well, there's no one looking after me anymore. There's no one to talk to. There's no one sort of, you, you, you're no longer a patient kind of thing. Charlie, can I ask? So during the the, the treatment itself, um, so where you were, you, you know, you'd have had contact, as you said, with the dietitian, speech language therapists, the radiographers, the nursing team, and the clinicians if you needed. Do you think because you were going back home to a different city, that's where that kind of care wasn't continued or? It, there may be an aspect of that, but my understanding is, certainly my treatment is, you, it would just be the same. You know, a, a quick follow up two weeks later with the dietitian and six weeks with the consultant and then they'll, if they'll book the scan in, which I've just had, and then it's, and it's the consultant again after sort of three months. So, I mean, there may have been more people that I could have like chosen to speak to if I'd had this treatment at the same place, because some of those people I might have met during the treatment. Um, but it, it, my understanding is where if you'd had the treatment in the same place, there's still that big drop off. And it, you talked about sorry this this potential support groups now 
the answer is no, um, in that I felt that I could deal with this on my own. Um, and But a couple of people recommended a group. I'm not going to mention it, but it was a, a, a group on Facebook. And I, you know, I, you know, I found myself looking at it. I still find myself going on to it. But it kind of, to me, comes across quite negative in that it's, it's mainly people, I've got this problem, I've got this problem, I've got this problem. And again, for those people, or for a lot of those people, it's probably really, really beneficial and you know, they might be getting some good advice or stuff. But for me personally, I, I didn't think it was gonna be any benefit. It's not beneficial for myself hearing a lot of negative stuff. Um, and I didn't feel I could help them because I'd want to be more positive if I was going to be that or shouldn't you be I, I don't know it's, it's, it's a hard one cause... it's your it's your coaching isn't it Charlie yeah, it's I your mean... kind of profession <clears throat> professional coach coming out in you yeah I, I guess I mean it's like the whole Facebook thing in general it's like you know I understand people will want to put a negative something negative out there but is that really going to help you I mean if there's obviously a specific question or something and and again, everyone's different, but I just found it, as soon as I sort of went on to it, I was like, well, no, this is, there's very little positive. And actually the other, a week or two ago, somebody had posted that they just had their results and it was, it's all clear. And he was having a, having a pint and it's like, that's positive. Where's, where's the negative stuff? Where's, and I, it shouldn't be like that. And I, I, I say, I completely understand most of these people have, have gone through horrific terrible time and, and are still going through that or have got a lot of unanswered questions but I didn't feel that would have supported or wasn't a support from for me personally and I was sort of drawing upon my own experiences and my I guess yeah years of um, you know developing different tools and techniques to to, to manage you know, stuff that happens in life. Um, now, having said that, you know, I'm naturally someone who, if I can, would like to help other people. And um, just at, towards the end of my treatment, somebody who follows me on the mountain coach, he just he contacted me and said um, he's just been accepted onto the torpedo trial. And you know, since then, we've been in, in contact and I've tried to be, um, you know, helpful and supportive for him but also you know, realistic and telling him this, this is what's going to happen um, and so he's three four weeks post treatment now so he's in the you know probably the, the just coming out the hardest hardest part so I, I feel like I, hopefully I've been helpful to him and his his wife um, and there's there's somebody else who's um, again came on had been on a couple of mountain coach trips a few years ago she started her treatment exactly the same time as me um, um with, with the standard radiotherapy down in in kent and we've been in contact quite regularly you know how she's doing and stuff and um you know if there's a you know whether this podcast might help or if there's a way that you know i could help people then you know, i'd love to be able to do that if possible um but recognizing that everybody is different and has, has their own circumstances 
Um, and I do feel, I mean, one of the, th- I, there have been times where I've felt guilty that I've, you know, the fact that I, last weekend I did a hike on Saturday and on Sunday and I was completely and actually knackered. But the fact that I was able to do that after 12 weeks, um, the fact that I hadn't, didn't need to use my feeding tube, the fact, you know, all these things, sometimes you start feeling guilty, which you shouldn't do, but, you know, especially when you hear about other people, you know, in a much worse situation. Um, so there's, there's that, that element as well. So in terms of support groups, I think you've got to be, you know, you, you definitely need support. I mean, like I mentioned before, I was surprised how much it did help putting up videos or updates on social media and getting that support back. Um, you know, yes, I could have dealt with it completely on my own, in my own little bubble, but um, it would have been you know, even harder. Um, but I think an individual needs to find out for themselves well, yeah, what works for them, what support groups they have got. I mean, I didn't, I was aware of um, Maggie's, um, I, I didn't, I, I, I went to the one in Manchester just as a, being curious, someone had mentioned it, so I went for a walk one day and saw it, and it, it was a lovely building, they seemed really nice, but it wasn't something I felt I needed, but I think a lot of people do find that, you know, find them very, very helpful. Um, so yeah, I think, like with anything, but particular, you know, cancer and the, the treatment and recovery, then trying to find the right support is, yeah, is, is really important. <clears throat> I think what you said about the external validation is very interesting because, you know, as children, adults, whatever, we all seek some sort of external validation for something we've done. But for someone like you who's been through something like depression before, that is an internal mental battle. You can't see that on people. So that's that internal validation that you're seeking. And effectively, you're kind of balancing that both. And I think lots of people that, you know, Joe and I've come across in clinical is they will always ask some question, that same question of, you know, why me? And unfortunately, you can't always answer that question, especially as a healthcare pr- practitioner, but also as you. So kind of seeking help from other people is obviously help. You know, it's going to get you through it in some way, even if it is, oh, I managed to cook something by myself today or going for a hike, like you said. That That's that external validation that keeps pushing you. I think some support groups, we always say they are great. You do get a lot of peer support and you never know, you know, even with a tiny bit of positivity from you, someone might still take that internally and then that'll come out externally, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think it comes back to the overall thing with, with cancer. It's so individual. Um, you know, the type it is, the the treatment, the your circumstances, um, and you've just, you've got to find what works for you. I mean, and going back to the de- depression, there's a lot of, generic things you can talk about and say and advise but actually you've got to find a what what are the factors and triggers that are causing it in the first place but what are the individual tools techniques that are going to work for you you know to 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 manage it and then to deal with it and to become i mean you, you hear a lot nowadays um about you know how it's an ongoing thing and anyone with you know genuine Sort of depression it's you have to manage it on a daily basis but if you've got the right tools and techniques and you keep doing it it becomes a habit and it just becomes second nature to deal with that or to recognize any issues so it doesn't really doesn't take over your life you're just sort of managing it like you manage anything you know 
as, as normal. Um, but it takes time and effort and, and that knowledge. Um, and say, with, with the cancer, I think the fact that I... Yeah, I, I mention this now because um, those first couple of days, I was sort of going for walks, just trying to process everything, just trying to get my head around it all. And the fact that, you know, again, I guess it's lack of understanding, um, education, ignorance. As soon as they mentioned you've got cancer, the initial thing was, I'm going to die. It was, it was, you know, you know, it's only, I haven't even, I still haven't even looked at it, at this, but it's only sort of second, third hand, people have mentioned that actually the success rate with the type of cancer you've got is sort of, you know, 80% plus, you know, it's, it's quite a high, um, but again, it's kind of all, well, yeah, there still means other people, you know, there's people are going to die, but it was the fact that, you know, trying to process every single possibility, and one of the thoughts I had, just for a, a short, a very short period, was, okay, if I'm going to die, it will make it easier if I can get into that place I was 19 years ago where I didn't want to live. And it was like, how do I do that? Trying to sort of you know, process, well, if I you know, get into that same you know, same place, then it will make it easier. And then, you know, we're in a, a very short period of time. It's like, well, that's just complete and utter nonsense. I mean, what, what are you talking about? Um, but, it, you know, it's the sort of thing of just trying to process every element to it. And then it's like, my conclusion after those sort of two days was, yeah, don't Google stuff. Don't, you just have to let it go in terms of you have to allow the doctors, the experts, the radiographers to do their job, trust the process and focus on, you know, what, what, what you can control and what you can do. And that, that would be my best advice um, is there's, there's a lot of stuff you, out of your control, but there's a lot of stuff you know, within your control. So, you know, if you just got to allow, you know, you just got to have faith in the, the doctors and the, the nurses and everyone else that they're, they're doing their, their, their jobs. Um, and, and you know, there, might be, there might be times when you think they're not, and then you might be able to challenge it, and you should challenge it. But, you know, when it comes to this, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm quite skilled or knowledgeable or qualified in lots of other areas. I've got no understanding of proton, <laughs> proton beam therapy and what type of chemo you should use and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, you just got to trust it. And because what else, what else can you do? Oh, Charlie, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, I appreciate that it's not easy, especially given how soon after your treatment is. So we so appreciate you sharing your experience with the listeners. Thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jay McMara and Naaman Jolk Anderson. A huge thank you again to our guest, Charlie Wardle. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the links to resources and literature we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Our next guest to feature will be Lucy Eldridge, who will be discussing her career and the role of a dietitian in cancer care. Thank you so much for listening and take care.